In the fall of 2020, students at Mount Elson University created and wrote scripts for a podcast series called This Is Fine. It was part of their work for a fourth-year psychology seminar called Stress, Burnout, and Resilience. Many of the students also recorded their scripts as podcasts, but some didn't get the chance. It was a long year, after all. That's where I come in. My name is Matt Tunnicliffe. I'm a writer, broadcaster, and producer who helped the students with their scripts and introduced them to the concepts of podcasting. I'm going to read one of the This Is Fine podcast scripts for this episode, and I'm not going to lie, it might sound a little bit strange at times, as you'll hear my voice, but the students' words. Think of it not so much as a podcast, more of an audiobook or a reading of a podcast script. With that in mind, let's get started. Today's episode is written by Sylvia Driscoll-Sangster. Thanks for listening to This Is Fine, a podcast about stress, burnout, and resilience. Anyone out there ever felt lonely? You know the feeling, the emptiness we experience if we've been on our own for a little too long. Especially right now in 2020 with the COVID-19 pandemic raging, loneliness seems to be on the rise. Loneliness is a hard thing to experience and oftentimes the feeling doesn't go away until we fulfill that fundamental human need for connection. Humans are highly social animals, even the introverts among us. Connecting with other people is so beneficial for our minds and bodies. Hi, my name is Sylvia Driscoll-Sangster. I'm a fourth-year psychology major at Mount Allison University. As a firm believer in the saying that people need other people, I'm delighted to be talking to you on this episode of This Is Fine about social connection, specifically why we need it, what causes it, and what happens when we don't fulfill it. Ready? Let's begin. Before we get started, I'd like to introduce you all to Jane, whose story we're going to follow throughout this episode. Jane is a second-year undergraduate psychology student who plays on her university soccer team. Jane spends all her free time with her teammates and relies on them for social support and social connection. So before we go any further, let's differentiate between social connection and social support. Social connection is the feeling that you belong to a group or the general feeling of closeness to other people. Social support is the comfort, both physical and emotional, given to us by other people. So social connection is the feelings you have, whereas social support is the evidence or the action that validates your feelings of connection. For example, Jane feels connected to her teammates and their actions of always cheering her on support her feelings of connection. So let's pause here and think of some of the people we form social connections with. I'm willing to bet that the first people that come to mind are your families and friends. And those are two of the biggies, but let's dig deeper. What about teachers or classmates? They too can provide connection and support. What about coaches or teammates? Playing team sports is one of the best ways to have ongoing social connection and support. Social connection does not have to mean other people. In some cases, pets can provide connection too. Furry friends are an excellent way to have emotional support. If we think back to our friend Jane, her teammates are like her second family. They lift her up when she's having a bad day and they always have her back. So our earliest social bonds are formed within our families and develop our attachment styles. There are four main styles of attachment that are crucial to our future social relationships that will form as we go. They are, as follows, secure attachment, anxious ambivalent attachment, anxious avoidant attachment, and disorganized attachment. Having secure attachment and stronger emotional bonds with your parents leads to having better social support systems later on in life, and having other forms of attachment may lead to problems forming strong bonds down the road. 
You can hear all about attachments in the This Is Fine episode, Today's Trauma, Yesterday's Attachment. Jane grew up in a loving household and always had the love and support of her parents, as well as her older siblings. Her attachment styles were secure, and that helped her grow into a confident and social young adult with the abilities to make friends and form strong social connections with others. So why is social support and connection so great anyways? Well, if we look at the benefits of social connection, we can see that it is a long list. First and foremost, social connection reduces stress. This is demonstrated in many scientific studies and has even got its own scientific hypothesis, the stress buffering hypothesis. This hypothesis is defined by researchers as the perceived ability of social support, which is assumed to buffer the negative relationship between perceived stress and the quality of life. Secondly, social connection can boost your immune system. An early study looked at levels of secretory immunoglobulin, A or IgA, in university students during an exam period. IgA is an antibody responsible for the protection against the many upper respiratory tract viruses that we often associate with getting around exam time. They found that students who reported having better social support systems within their university institution had higher levels of this preventative IgA and were therefore less likely to experience any nasty colds or upper respiratory tract infections that commonly follow the exam period or a period of prolonged stress. Aside from these two massive benefits, social connection also lowers blood pressure and can lengthen your lifespan. On the flip side, there are many harms of not getting enough social connection. But before we get to them, let's talk about social isolation. This is the big one. This is what leads us to those feelings of loneliness, or as I like to call them, the lonelies. It's the absence of social support, the feeling of being cut off from your people, and its harms can be quite dangerous. Firstly, it causes stress. As a species, we're not supposed to be isolated or alone. It's in our evolutionary makeup that we are social beings, so not getting that support can cause a lot of us stress. Social isolation also decreases immune health, has negative impacts on mental health, increases blood pressure, inflammation, and cortisol levels. Finally, it can shorten your life. Let's play a little game to illustrate that last point. I have a little quiz for you. So how this will work is I'll read out the question, possible answers, then pause to let you think. Got it? Okay, good. So your question is, not having good social support can shorten our lives as much as smoking A, 100 cigarettes per week, B, 200 cigarettes per week, C, 25 cigarettes per week, or D, 50 cigarettes per week? So the answer is A, about 100 cigarettes per week, which rounds out to an average about 10 years off your lifespan. Yikes. So we can really see how social support and connection is important in our lives, as this is a large chunk of time to lose, and can oftentimes be pretty easily prevented. This is a huge factor to keep in mind when we think about our elderly population, and a lot of research has been done on the negative effects of social isolation on the health of older individuals. This is especially evident in those living in nursing homes or other long-term care facilities, as the majority of them spend most of their days alone. Because our friend Jane is a psychology major and has studied the benefits of social connection in the elderly, she spends her Thursday afternoons volunteering at the nursing home in her town. This connection is important for both her and the residents she visits, as she enjoys the conversation she has and feels strongly connected to the residents. By now you might be thinking, wow, social connection is awesome. Why would anyone ever isolate themselves? So let's tackle this question 
There are a variety of reasons that people may disconnect or withdraw from family, friends, and loved ones. A few examples include having insecure attachment styles. As we saw when we talked about attachment, having insecure attachment styles as a child can harm people's abilities to connect with others and form social connections as adults. Living in poverty. Potentially, people living in poverty could feel alone in their struggles or could be working multiple jobs and simply do not have enough time to spend with others. Experiencing guilt and shame. As people experiencing guilt and shame may feel unworthy of the social support they are given and isolate themselves. Surviving a trauma. People who experience trauma may feel like nobody understands what they're going through, and this can lead them to isolate themselves. And finally, feeling burnt out. People feeling burnt out may be so overwhelmed that they feel like they don't have time to see the important people in their lives. So, as you can see, many times people may be isolating themselves due to a variety of factors beyond their control. And then it becomes a cycle of not connecting, which leads to further isolation, which leads to further negative outcomes. Each of the topics I mentioned are also covered in other episodes of this podcast series in more detail, so be sure to check those out. Now, some of you might be thinking, this is all fine and great, but surely there are cases where too much social support can be a bad thing. And you, my devil advocates playing friends, would be correct. Researchers have found that too much social support can manifest as overprotection. Overprotection is defined in the American Psychological Association Dictionary as the process of sheltering an individual to such an extent that he or she fails to become independent and may experience later adjustment and other difficulties. For example, Jane's friend Lindsay is not as independent as Jane due to the overprotection she received from her family when growing up. She struggles to do simple things like cooking or making friends because before she went away to school, she never had to do anything for herself. So overprotection can lead to more stress and problems immediately, as well as down the road. In a 2017 study, researchers checked the heart rates and blood pressures of participants taking a test with either distance support in the form of written instructions, no support, or support from an overprotective supporter who had explained how to solve the questions as their participant went along. The results of this study showed that the overprotective support system actually caused their participants to have higher levels of stress and perform worse on the test. If you think about it, this makes quite a bit of sense. I'm sure if you were trying to concentrate on a test and had someone hovering over explaining how to answer the questions, you'd be a little stressed too. Individual differences can also play a part in how much social support and connection can help buffer against stress. Some people need time to process their thoughts and emotions on their own and may not benefit from as much social support. For example, Jane's best friend Sam is more of an introvert than she is and likes to process her emotions on her own time and then reach out to her friends to support. Introverts still need social support and connection, but the timing just might differ. So even though social connection is of vital importance, there are always circumstances where too much might be more harmful than beneficial. Just a little thought to keep in mind. Jane's life was going pretty well. It seemed like nothing could get in the way of her social connections and that her future in school and soccer were very bright. But things changed quickly with the start of something I'm sure all you listeners are familiar with, the COVID-19 pandemic. It may seem a little ironic to you to have the topic of this podcast to be social connection while we're all encouraged to stay home and social distance. So let's talk about it. Social distancing and isolation are crucial to stop the spread of the disease, but their effects on our social support and connections have been detrimental. Jane had definitely felt the effects of social isolation. 
Her experience is similar to that of the results found in a study done last April by researchers in Switzerland. The researchers looked at the undergraduate students' social networks and mental health before and after the start of isolation. They looked at levels of depression, anxiety, stress, and loneliness in the undergraduate students and found there was an increase in all four areas of study during isolation, with significant increase in reported levels of depression, stress, and loneliness. Jane's situation was very similar. As the cases increased, she was sent home from school. No school meant no soccer practices, and no soccer meant no time spent with her teammates. Her home city went on lockdown, and she couldn't even leave her house to see any of her old high school friends either. Jane felt something she hadn't felt for nearly all her life. She felt lonely. This loneliness caused her to feel more stress and anxiety. She experienced depression and some days refused to get out of bed. Her world had turned upside down, and she didn't even know where to begin in order to turn it back right side up, until one day she had an idea. She started group FaceTime calls with her teammates during the times they would have been in practice. They watched old games together and talked about their lives. Knowing they were all in this together helped them feel more connected. This is an example of passive socialization, where you find ways to connect even when you can't physically be in the same space. Jane also participated safely in active socialization when she started going on social distance walks around her neighborhood with her friend. She also remembered her volunteering and asked the nursing home staff to set up Zoom calls so she could virtually visit her friends in long-term care. As the months went on, she continued to find ways to remain connected with her people. Now, Jane is back in school, and even though there is no soccer season this year, she and her teammates are still allowed to practice. She doesn't feel as lonely anymore, and she makes sure that her social connections are strong. She, like many students this year, is still feeling the pressure of the COVID-19 pandemic, but she is persevering due to the help of her social support system. That would be a good place to end this podcast, wouldn't it? But you're not off the hook yet. Before I let you go, I have a little activity that I'd encourage you to participate in, if you want to. We've seen throughout this podcast how important social connection is for our well-being in today's day and age more than ever. So I just want you all to think about a person in your life that you have a strong social connection with. It could be a parent, sibling, or friend. And take a minute to recognize that they've probably played an important role in your life and your overall well-being, maybe in ways you may have not considered before listening to this podcast. And after you've thought about your person, take 30 seconds to shoot them a quick text saying, thank you for being there for me, or... I appreciate you, or even just a hello. I know, I know. This might seem cheesy. I imagine some of you are rolling your eyes at me. But I think it's important, especially in today's day and age, that we stay connected to our people. So I invite you to pause this podcast, take 30 seconds, and connect with someone. Everyone back with me? Good. The people who make up our support systems are some of the most important people in our lives. Whether it is our families, friends, teammates, or others, these are our people, and the relationships that we have with them affect pretty much every part of our lives. So call that friend. Go for that walk with your mom. Give your partner that hug. Social Connections brings us together. I hope you enjoyed this podcast and maybe learned a thing or two. Stay connected and stay safe. This is Fine, a podcast about stress, burnout, and resilience, was created by students at Mount Allison University. The students created each episode as part of a fourth-year psychology class called Stress, Burnout, and Resilience, taught by me, Dr. Lisa Dawn Hamilton. There's a link in the show notes to access the full script with references. 
You can also go to mta.ca slash psychology and click on the This Is Fine podcast link. Episodes were recorded at the CHMA studios in Sackville, New Brunswick, or over the internet when that wasn't possible. Script assistance, podcast basics, and training were provided by Matt Tunnicliffe. Music and audio production by Jeremy Dahl at palebluedotstudios. Thanks for listening and for supporting these students' foray into the world of podcasting.